0: you <music>
1: is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant minds and looking at the world around them how do they 360 themselves and 360 the world jamie neil the host that's me asked many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honored to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. We're supported by General Assembly and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services promo code is 360 yourself 25 the code will be valid up to 75 pound off any one of their classes workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to ga's full time part time or online circuit courses full t's and c's apply hello and welcome back to 360 yourself i hope you're having a good morning good afternoon and good Evening. Uh welcome back to another glorious episode on 360 yourself. You've got me, the host, Jamie Neal, of course. Um, so we are back. We have a new guest, of course, um, stimulating as ever. Uh, she's got a brilliant, brilliant background in working in film, advertising uh tv the works she is incredible and as you know i love learning about people and how they fundamentally move around their space and how they think and how they do all these things and it's just incredible to me um but so every single day i have to learn something new and i don't know if you know this but i was watching uh, an alien documentary um and also side that we will eventually get someone on who is an alien theorist or something because i find that absolutely fascinating but I was watching an episode on Netflix about uh, aliens and the history and that sort of thing. And I didn't realize this, but obviously in the Bible, we've got the Garden of Eden. And I always thought it was just kind of made up place, but actually there is proven that it was a place in the world called the Garden of Eden. And it's apparently just off Serbia, where four of the rivers meet. And I find that absolutely fascinating. And so every single day I like to learn really random information like that and at the moment i'm learning lots about kind of cameras and lighting and and lenses and stuff and tutorials um so if you are a person like me who's curious because i also am a gemini please just message us and just tell us something new a new fact about something that you've learned recently because i would love to know and just keep learning about everything and also i don't know if you just know or i don't know if you know Um, There has been uh, the new film on Amazon Prime. I think it just came out yesterday or the day before that. But it's called Coming to America. And if you watch the original uh, with Will... Oh, not Will Smith. um, With Eddie Murphy. That's the name. Um, Eddie Murphy. Uh, It's incredible. Incredible. I just absolutely love the original. But to be fair, the new film, I just... I find doing, like, number twos out of films so hit and miss because if you really love the original sometimes it's not sometimes it's not the original uh, creators or writers or directors and so they obviously have a different flavor and coming to america was so commercialized in my eyes that it took away from the authenticity of the original i don't know about you but i love the originals of, fi- of films and i hate it so much i think when they do twos and threes apart from matrix it matrix for me one two and three is incredible i just think they that that just don't do another one i mean i think they are doing another one actually but i for me it's just like i just want to hang on to the originals if everyone oh i mean i think they're doing another oliver and i think that is a no-no just keep oliver as it is um Anyway, but moving forward, uh, we have an amazing guest, which I said. Uh, She works in film, um, advertising, uh, just incredible kind of television stuff. One of my favourite works of her is Shaun the Dead uh, with Edgar Wright, which is obviously the famous director. Um, She's also worked on Legend, uh, Johnny English, The World's End, Scott Pilgrim versus The World... Uh, The Boat That Rocked, Wild Child, which is obviously one of favourite back in 2008. Um, Commercial, she's done uh, BMW, Nike, Just Eat Morrisons, Target, Walkers, uh, Polar, Simply B, J.D. Williams, um, McDonald's, Virgin Trains, Orange, Heineken. I mean, the list goes on. I honestly can't keep up. Her her CV is like so, so long. But I'm really fascinated to, to delve into her mind and we were talking about um, when you are kind of an OG in your field and this nowadays is about social media and about being present how do you cope with that how do you do you need to become Kind of so, social media savvy or does your work stand up for it um, and so we were talking about that we we're talking about um, the process in movement direction and choreography within her work and and how she's evolving on and how she's now writing more and directing more so I really want to introduce you to Litza Brickler. Hey Litza how are you doing?
2: I'm very well thank you.
1: Good good good. Whereabouts are you in the world?
2: Uh, at the moment I'm in a city about a couple of hours outside of Chicago where I'm um, an artist in residence at the University of
1: Wisconsin. Oh wow so have you do, so do you do you spend most of your time in the U.S. Do you spend because I know I know I see you sometimes in the U.K. but do you spend most of your time in the U.S. and what is, what, what is it like over there at the moment with COVID?
2: I think before COVID, I divided my time relatively equally. Mm. Uh, but since COVID, I've been stuck here. So I think I, I got back from London at the end of 2019.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm.
2: then we went into lockdown here at the beginning of March. So I had spent Christmas here. The original plan was to do a trip in February 2020. Yeah. But by that point, it was already looking... I was nervous about it. Everyone else seemed fine. But I had been nervous about it from as far back as just after Christmas. I had started reading about um, what was going on in Wuhan because my... um, one of my nephews is half Chinese and has family in the province where Wuhan is. So it was on my radar for that reason. So mm-hmm. I was really tuned in to what was going on with this after Chris you know Christmas 2019. Everybody was teasing me about it because, like, all I would do was talk about this virus and how I was worried about it, and I was reading the news all the time. And everybody's like, "I don't know what your problem is. It's going to be fine." And I even said, like, I even said to to one of my family members at the time, I said, "I think it's going to like. There's going to be a recession. I think this is going to cause a lot of problems." They were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." That was in January. Then, of course, who's laughing now? (laughs) Come come much, yeah so I I just had a sense about it but the funny thing was is then when everyone else realized it was as bad as I'd been saying it was going to be I sort of got tired of reading about it by that point
0: Mm. because
2: I'd been so obsessed with it sort of January February and so worried about it talking about it all the time and everybody else was like yeah yeah nothing to nothing to worry about here
1: um so yeah it is a bit crazy though that no one i mean even me included didn't even think about like because viruses travel like it's not like like there's a riot happening where it can't move like this is a virus where like it it just it can go through air like it moves so like i I find it so funny that none of us like thought oh it it won't come over here it won't come to the uk it's totally fine we're safe and then march time it was then i had people i was working on a job i had people crying around me And that was when I was like, this is where it's getting serious now.
2: Yeah, I think it's because I I had not that long ago, rewatched Contagion. It was just one of those things, you know, and it's surprisingly similar other than the fact that in Contagion, the virus is much more deadly. But because I hadn't, I'd recently rewatched that not so long before. And then when I was reading about it in Wuhan, I said, well, this kind of feels very similar to that. And I know that they researched that film quite heavily and they had, mm-hmm. you know, epidemiologists that they spoke to for it. Mm-hmm. I think what concerned me is that it was so transmissible. Yeah, yeah. Because SARS never was. So like even, you know, both SARS and Ebola, you need quite direct contact to mm-hmm. transmit, but it was clear that with this one, it was far more transmissible, not to mention the fact that I wasn't sure how transparent at that stage the Chinese were being. And this isn't a criticism
0: mm.
2: necessarily, but that's just how it felt at the time. So I was thinking, gosh, it seems to me likely that it was kind of circulating in the community there much earlier.
0: Mm -hmm. like
2: in november yeah this is what i was thinking like in january 2020 yeah so kind of working back from that i was like well if they're freaking out now in january is when you know, it was really exploding in China and in actual fact it had started circulating in November, then theoretically for us, it could have started circulating in January, which means we'd be freaking out in March, which is exactly what happened. And I'm not some kind of like prophetic savant, I think, I think probably all epidemiologists thought the same thing. It's just whether you happen to be tuned into the information or not. Mm -hmm. And I just so happen to be because of these other factors. Um, anyway, so I cancelled, so I ch- didn't go back in February. Uh, the job that I was meant to do, I went and did virtually. So we did that, that was a UK job, but we did it virtually sort of March, April. I feel like mm. I finished that in May. Mm. Um, and then it was kind of clear at that stage that I wouldn't be going back that summer. Um, I was originally going to go back kind of around my birthday in august but it's clear that wasn't going to happen um some of my family that live in england were originally supposed to come over here for uh the birth of two new nephews of ours twins but they couldn't come so i haven't been back since yeah since the end of the year 2019 which i think is the longest I've been away and certainly the longest that I've not seen certain family members or friends there that you know I've known for like 30 years
1: Mm, it's just a bit it's a bit crazy isn't it like it's just like every time I would start to think well maybe I could
2: plan to go back usually what's happened is is it's gone crazy there and, and I was supposed to be having a guest artist come over from the UK to meet with my students here
1: oh, really? doing this
2: residency here, but they're not able to travel here and there's a travel ban within the university. So it's just any sort of long-term plans and you need a little bit of long-term planning when you're going between countries. Yeah, I've yeah, just yeah. gone out the window and everything's become so last minute that, you know, and I've had two or three jobs I've just had to turn down because I've just thought it's not worth the flight there to quarantine um, for a few days shoot, yeah. So then kind of come back here so it's luckily it, yeah and and you know and luckily I had always planned to do this residency so it kind of worked out anyway
1: mm-hmm. so I, I knew I was going to be here for that people who obviously a lot of people know your name but if anyone who's listening doesn't know your name I mean you have an incredible, massive portfolio of like music videos, a massive kind of portfolio of like commercials, films. I mean, one of my favourite films uh, is uh, Soul Boy and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, those are my two favourite films. I don't know why, I just I actually love them, and also Shaun of the Dead, all uh, my favourite films that you worked on, and so. And I now now know that you're you're writing more. But I want to go before we kind of delve into that sort of world. I'd love to know like where it all started. Like, are, you, are your family creative? How did you kind of get into the world of choreography, and movement, and then also now into writing?
2: I think I kind of. It's interesting because we tend to form those, often form those creative identities quite young. Well, many yeah. of us do, mm. and I certainly did. Some of that was just an a a kind of preference that I showed really, really young. Um, And I always find that a bit, a bit inexplicable in children as to why so young, they'll show preferences for some things and not others. And I've seen that in my nieces and nephews, you know, they'll show a preference or even have an ability. Like One of my um, sort of nieces who's kind of grown now as an artist, I remember when she was two she could draw a circle unusually well for a two-year-old and you could kind of see that there was like an interest in some skill there and then and then it has remained throughout her life and I was a child like that I, I could draw really tiny complete precise circles at like one and a half two so I just had you know Whatever, <laughs> whatever leads a child to be interested in doing that, I seem to be interested in doing that, and then I think it's noticed by caregivers and parents, and either encouraged or discouraged. And in my case, it was encouraged.
0: Mm-hmm. So I would
2: say that was kind of the the the, the foundation. Um, And then once that foundation starts to form, you start to build an identity around it in, you know, within the family and maybe within your friendship group of being the creative one. And it just sort of builds from there. And then as you progress through life, you start, you try lots of different domains and then you start to specialize because there's pressure to do so um in yeah. our culture so that's you know I, I had a hard time specializing compared to other people I was always really envious of and I was always envious of Edgar Wright who specialized like super young and like you hear that about Spielberg as well there are some people who just are only interested in one narrow domain yeah and they just have total interest in that
1: yeah. and I Definitely. was never
2: that so I'm kind of quite envious of that in people but I was yeah. never that um I was always interested in you know I I trained as a musician I played in the band I was first chair you know I did ballet training I did acrobatic gymnastics training I did a lot of fine art and that was what I started doing in my undergraduate specializing in photography then switched over to costume design then switched over to theater then then started taking classes in the dance department and they just kind of cobbled together a degree for me in the end just to get me graduated they didn't know what to do with me um and I I didn't really kind of I'd made a piece when I was an undergraduate so I took the choreography course I don't even think I got credit for it I think I audited it I'm not even sure like I got credit for it but I took it with the dance majors and um I made a piece as part of that course and Even looking back now, so I still have the footage of that, which is crazy, because this is like way long time ago, Mm -hmm. um, like the 80s, (laughs) Um, but I still have the video of that. And I remember like my teacher at the time sort of saying, you've got, you know, you have a knack for this for whatever reason, you know, is this, And, and later they said to me that they thought I would become a choreographer. I didn't see that at the time. But now that I'm in the position of sometimes being a professor, you, you can spot those things, even yeah. if the person themselves can't spot it in themselves. But at that stage, I still had no interest in specializing in that. I was kind of a little bit more on the theater side of things and, and the live art performance art side of things. Mm-hmm. And then then into my twenties decided, okay, maybe I will specialize in choreography. And that's when I did a master's in choreography.
1: Right, okay. And what, what drew you, because you've done a lot of like commercials and some, some people really love it because it's, uh, it's really great money and it's kind of stable work and stuff and sometimes it can be creative, sometimes it's not because it is commercial work and it's not as creative yeah. as your own stuff. But what kind of drew you to go and also be really great at commercials as well as your kind of filmmaking work as well, as your feature film stuff?
2: so i had my own company for about five years and with that company so i was arts council funded and i made pieces that had either film in them so they were kind of gallery pieces that had Mm
1: -hmm. an
2: element of live performance but also film projection Mm -hmm. and then i also made just some straight up films Mm -hmm. that weren't part of a live piece as well um so, I knew other filmmakers as a consequence of that, and I knew other HODs, you know, cinematographers and the like. Um, so, I was part of a community where most of the people that I was palling around with and most of the people I knew were kind of consciously within the film industry.
0: Mm -hmm. so
2: it was probably as a consequence of those connections that when they would need some movement or something of that ilk they would think of me because they knew I also did that but I was also very film literate because I directed some of my own films Mm -hmm. so it started just like that but it was also a very conscious decision I think if I had been completely British and had not had gone to university like a lot of my colleagues at the time where they didn't pay tuition you know they didn't come out with these enormous student loans yeah i think if i would have been in that position i would not have deliberately built a commercial career i would have stayed running my own company so it was out of pure financial necessity i had enormous american student loans there would be no way i could pay off and remain an artist, it was impossible. That just, you Mm -hmm. could never earn the amount of money that you would need to pay those off. So it was a very deliberate calculation. And and, you know, the people I was hanging around with were either HODs within the film industry or they were running super experimental theater and performance companies or making really experimental films that were situated more within kind of avant-garde experimental cinema and not commercial. And I remember they were like, "What are you doing?" They thought I was crazy, doing all this commercial work. Um, but you know, it it really boiled down to kind of the downsides of capitalism and the fact that they were able to carry on doing that kind of work because they weren't buried under a mountain of student debt.
1: Yeah, it's so strange. I think I think my debt's like fifty thousand or something, or forty thousand. So ridiculous. Like yeah. that. I don't I don't know whether yeah. I'm going to pay it, but like it is yeah it is, isn't it? there's something weird about the system because apparently after a number of years i think it's 10 15 years you, it just gets right, written off apparently so
2: well it does in the uk but not in the u.s no not so in the so there's a couple of different things about the uk debt one i think you only have to pay it when you're earning a certain amount of money
0: yeah which is true and yeah.
2: two i think it eventually gets forgiven so in the u.s neither of those two apply So you always have to pay them off no matter what, unless you're earning no money. And even then the interest will accrue. So you're never never out from under the shadow of it. Um, So I think that was probably what led me down that path. Um, Because I've thought about this a lot. I think I I, I wouldn't have gone down that path so heavily, I think if I had had more of a choice
0: mm. now
2: there's another part of it which was just my own fear so I was I have was writing at that same point that I was um doing commercial work I'd written a short and I'd received funding for it and to shoot it like a good amount of funding for it and we'd even gone it was set in the U.S. we'd even gone to the U.S. and done a recce and at that point Rob Hardy who's shot um the mission impossible films was attached as the dop i had a really good director attached yeah. and then there was a change over in the in the arts council structure and a different set of people came in and the funding changed and then that funding got taken away and i think i took that personally rather than just seeing it for what it was which which was these structural changes yeah, we're and which happens all the time. And I think with me a little bit-
1: When studios, it changes all the time.
2: It changes all the time. And I think in hindsight, I think with more, maybe a bit more confidence at the time and a bit more maturity, I would have carried on. I wouldn't have. And instead I just kind of let that all go to one side and just got really busy doing a lot of commercial work. So I think if I had one thing I would have done different maybe would have been to maybe seek out a bit more advice from someone older and more experienced at that stage mm. rather than just kind of instantly giving up yeah um so for some reason at that point in my life i didn't have the same level of persistence around that that i do now mm. um
1: because you because you because you i i don't know but see it seems like your focus is very much into the writing aspect now compared to
2: like i just got offered work without me really having to fight hard for it whereas with the the writing i felt like i was fighting harder for it and then when it kind of went away it got really disheartened
1: yeah does it it feel like now you're more focused on your writing than your choreography do you feel it's quite 50 50 at the moment
2: oh no no i'm far more focused on writing because i'd done that for many 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 years and decided if I was going to continue working in that milieu that it would be my own work again or like in this case I'm making a piece with students um rather than being a kind of gun for hire for want of a better phrase so yeah uh, so I'll still take the odd gig on but it's not something I'm like seeking out in the same way that I might been before
0: Mm -hmm. it purely
2: just came down to time if you're doing that and all your time and energy is going into that then it just doesn't leave much left also the 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 shift to needing to use social media in a kind of the self-marketing piece just never sat very well with me um (laughs) probably because I'm from a different generation and we didn't do that and that it was almost considered a little bit gauche or a little bit kind of tasteless to
1: do yeah, that we, for, we, my, we, for my generation well we we've, we've spoken about this a, a couple a couple of times maybe twice or three, two times about like social media and about like how like the younger generation are less experienced but potentially getting more work because they have more followers rather than people who are really really experienced I don't don't really want to go onto social media I know like anti Van Last who's a, a very famous this for who we had on the podcast. I spoke to him about this as well because I don't think he's even on social media. I mean, yeah, he doesn't need to be. He's like a Tony, non, Tony winning like choreographer, Mirror, that sort of thing. And you're like, well, he doesn't need to be, but then the industry kind of requires him. It sort of to be a, to be present to people to know who he is with his brand and stuff
2: it's a difficult thing. I think luckily probably for our generation, you feel like, well, I'm not that far from death. So I can probably just eke it out <laughs> until then. I think that was the calculation I sort of made was, it, it felt like way too much effort for something that I don't even enjoy. And I know some people actually enjoy it. And I think, great, you know, before it, you know, and I even, I even have colleagues who maybe slightly younger than me, who maybe just that generation below me who I think genuinely enjoy it and have no problem with it and will happily Mm. post a couple times a day for me it's like pulling teeth it's just never even other people my age who got really into Facebook I was never one of them I never went on there I never got interested in it it just didn't for whatever reason it just never floated my boat I was never into it and uh it kind of came and went for me it wasn't something that you know and then when it became so Pervasive, and when, for instance, I know now casting directors sometimes won't even see an actor unless they have a minimum of four thousand followers on something like Instagram. I know,
0: yeah, I know. That's when right. I
2: started to become even kind of worried about it because then it felt like popularity was superseding any desire to work on craft. Yeah, and I and I also also felt like if you're spending all of your time on that, then when are you actually working on your work? Correct. You know, and and it's very disruptive to me to have to stop my flow to think about that. And and so I've never quite known what to do with it. It's like I got pushed onto it, kicking and screaming, partly by agents and the like, kind of forced onto it. I hardly use it. Part of me just thought I should just come off it. Like, what's what's the point if it's just if I have no interest in it? Then I can also see the benefit of it being. A pla- and like on Instagram I follow a lot of artists just because I like to look at their work mm. so I'm not really interested in any of the po- you know anything that's said but I quite like to look at their work so then I can see the usefulness of it because it's like virtual gallery then
1: yeah I I love I love particularly Instagram because I get to ha- I, I share a lot of artwork and a lot of paintings and I love that and my stories and I get to, and I I even get really inspired when I'm writing uh, pictures and stuff and ideas, because I, I get really inspired by one architecture and two paintings and art. Yeah, and For me, yeah. it's a great, great thing. And also, like, to collaborate with other people as well. It's, it's such a great networker. Absol- of that.
2: Absolutely. So there's a really positive piece, too. I actually reached out recently to a, a artist, Garcia' is her name who's based in Mexico just because I was completely taken with her work and I was working on a lookbook for a tv series I'm writing and I thought oh you know her images would work so well and I always prefer when I'm using other people's images in my lookbooks to credit them you don't have to because it's usually an internal document but I just think it's kind of respectful so I reached out to her via Instagram and that was how I connected with her and And you know, I'm including, you know, her images in my lookbook. And so that was an example of it working well. So I've shifted it much more as a tool to kind of connect with other artists or to look at other people's work mm. and the part that might be the self-promotion part is the part that I just didn't like whatever I don't care I don't you know yes. I have no interest in that part well, yeah. you don't,
1: well the thing is you don't need to when you've when you've worked with the big one of the big or the biggest directors around the time and you've got credits of like these massive feature films and commercials and people and we all know this is a relationship-based industry so when you've worked with yeah. the same directors for a long time it doesn't matter if you've got instagram they'll just come to you first away because they've worked with you a couple of times and then you can do the job
2: yeah yeah absolutely it is relationship based and i spent a lot of years cultivating those
1: mm. so yeah
2: that's my kind of love hate relationship not even love hate tolerate hate relationship with social media <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: and, so, and so when you so obviously Uh, I say to to a lot of writers in this lockdown period this has been an amazing opportunity to write because you have more time in your hand and you're not um fixated on what's happening around you because majority of time nothing's happening at this moment in time especially in the UK maybe more so in some some parts of the US because like Miami it's kind of normal at the moment and but like, how have you found the kind of lockdown experience within your writing work and has that affected, like for instance, you just talked about your writing a lookbook for a TV series, has that affected the way that you write?
2: The funny thing is, is I had decided very, so I think it was 2019 that i had started going, being a lot more conscious about making this transition to focus more on writing and producing and less on choreography. So I had that whole year. So I wrote two features, two episodes of two TV pilots in that year. So Mm -hmm. I had a really productive year. And then when 2020 came, the intention was to work on the marketing piece of those. So that's your pitch docs and your lookbooks and and, you know, any images you might want to include to try, you know, basically to start shopping the projects. So that's what 2020 was always going to be about. And then that was, And so I'd already kind of been locked down in 2019 because I'd been home a lot writing. And then 2020 came And I think if it hadn't been for the pandemic, that would have been for me in terms of my own process where I would have been going out into the world a lot more.
0: Mm, So so
2: it was kind of, you know, so I got got tired of it midway through because I'd already spent, you know, much of 2019 in and writing. So I actually found it a little challenging. Mm. even though I'm the sort of person that spends a lot of time at home and I'm very introverted so for someone like me to get tired of being at home it's quite remarkable it took six months and then I was like oh yeah I might be tired of being home now but that was really a year in six months if you
1: think yeah about it. yeah because I've been home so much before as writers some people can write and create around other creators in the community like in a in a coffee shop or whatever oh
2: yeah no i'm not one of those yeah i need total silence (laughs) yeah some
1: people need to sit in a dark room and just be alone for like a couple of weeks and just write by themselves and i think the i think that kind of uh process is so i find it very fascinating each kind of writer and the way that i like i always kind of reference stephen king because apparently stephen king writes Three thousand or two thousand words a day, nonstop, and then you've got like, uh, uh, like Quentin Tarantino who writes when he feels like writing, when he has an inspiration, um, and I find it really fascinating to how how um, kind of creativity comes to people, especially when, uh, very in this weird, unique uh, time at this moment where we have COVID around the world.
2: Yeah, I think everybody has that. I've always, I always go in and out, in and out. So I'll work very much alone. Then I'll need to kind of reflect off someone else. One of the screenplays I'm writing at the moment, I'm actually collaborating with, with a director on. So it's super useful because I'll disappear for a couple of weeks and then I'll send him some pages and then we'll
0: mm-hmm.
2: have like a two hour conversation. And i have actually, that's actually probably seems to work the best for me if I'm just in it and only analyzing the work myself, it's, I always need external input at some point. Mm. Um, but then I go back and I work on my own, then mm. I'll go back out again, and then I'll go back and work on my own, uh, and then back, I'll go back oh, out again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and in many respects, that's how it was as a choreographer as well. Like I would, I would work by myself in the studio, then the director comes in, or you send them, you send, the material out and you get feedback then you go back in then you send it back out and so it's this constant process of zooming in and out zooming in and out is the way that it works for me I don't know I know it might not work that way for everybody and literally if I'm making if I'm doing a painting I'll do that as well I'll be really zoomed in on a lot of details and then I'll leave it a couple days so that I can have a you know, look at it like I'm looking at it for the first time and the way someone mm. else might see it. Or I'll look mm. at it in a mirror sometimes to force myself to see see the whole piece instead of just one little detailed area that I'd been noodling around with for ages.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and, and you know, the thing about Stephen King, is he's, he's very focused on writing. That's all he does for the most part. So he's another one like, you know, the Edgar Wrights the world who are really focused on filmmaking.
1: Um, I only with are other writers- Pardon? (laughs) I said I would only wish I could be like them as well I'm such I'm such a Gemini that I like to do loads of different things and I only wish that my mind was just that I'm just going to do this one thing
2: yeah but I think it's just you just have to find what works for you and what I think for me it's always a balance about Living in the present and having an enjoyable day to day life, mm. as well as considering where you might want to go in the future. If you're too future focused, then you might never enjoy any of your day to day life, no, <laughs> and just be so focused on what you're going to be doing in the future or on some kind of future success. Yeah. And for me, it's important that I enjoy my day to day life, almost how, maybe how slightly you, more important. Than
1: how day-to-day. do you find? How do you refine yourself uh, in the present when you might be sometimes anxious about the future?
2: I think you just have to ask yourself how useful is it being anxious about the future Mm
1: -hmm. if it's
2: useful because it helps you to put some plans in place that might mitigate some worst case scenarios then go for it if it's useful because you know you can start to push an idea because you're thinking about well this is where it might lead then i think it's useful if all it does is take you into an anxiety spiral where you're really stressed and unhappy then i don't see how it's useful so for me usefulness is always the barometer and Mm. i think being there there is usefulness about being present focused if you're entirely present focused then you never make any plans and then it's hard to do any kind of long-term project that requires you to step forward into the future a little bit so Mm. there's a downside to that and then you know and then if you're if you're a monk then being completely present focused might be entirely useful and there's a utility for that
1: yeah so how so how so do you so with your i like that idea but is it useful because i see like i for me that stress is like a negative energy is just a useful and like that useless energy that doesn't serve you anything like jealousy what sort of stuff getting angry that you i used to I remember years ago, I used to get really annoyed that when I was in a coffee shop, that it wouldn't have like soy milk. And I'd then get, re- and my energy would be like really annoyed for like 10 minutes. And then I got, as I got older, I was like, why am I pushing out this really strange energy into my space over someone not having soy milk in the cafe? And I, and I would kind of reflect on all this, all these like moments where you go, oh, angry or annoyed. And you're like, well, it just let it be like, it is what it is. And so I'm I'm fascinated when you say about useful energy or you, you is it useful for your time and to be present?
2: I I think that's just a good barometer because what for some people a little bit of stress is really useful. Mm. You know, for some people they need those time constraints because that's what kind of pushes them forward. So just that little bit of stress is really useful. And you know, for some people, doing something timed is fun. For other people get really flustered and like if they're taking a test and it's timed they'll do poorly on it and for someone else it might really help focus them so i also think it's quite idiosyncratic in terms of what you find useful Mm. um you know for some people a really competitive environment And almost a little bit of envy is useful for them. That's what kind of spurs them forward. It was never useful for me. It never led to a nice place. Mm. Also, for me, I never liked the idea of approaching everything in the world as a zero-sum game, where Mm. one person loses and one person wins. If you approach everything, if you approach culture, if you approach creativity, if you approach love as a zero-sum game, and if everything is rivalrous, it just... For me, it wasn't a very useful space to be in. Mm. And yet so much of, you know, our industry, particularly the film industry, is rivalrous and it is presented as a zero-sum game where there mm. are winners and there are losers. Did and you- I remember for me shifting into the idea that whenever I didn't get a job, that meant someone else was celebrating because mm. they did get that job. And I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, and can you appreciate that piece of it? because mm. that's unlimited that ability to be grateful and to even be part of someone else's gratefulness is an unlimited resource mm. and it, you don't know what someone else's story is they might have desperately needed that job far more than you
1: yeah you know for sure just being uh, yeah. so, so i think a lot of people have just been i think more grounded in the fact that we are so grateful just to just to wake up in the morning i think that's what every, i think everyone's grateful kind of energies. Is manifested even more now, especially in lockdown. But so, did you have that sort of mentality, at, like when you like when you first started uh, starting in the industry, or did it? Did you? No. How did how did how did that kind of manifest? Like, what, what what age did you go? Oh, let's take a step back and go. Well, okay, this is now. I I, I feel like this is what's happening in the in- industry, and I don't really want to be a part of it. I'm going to do my own kind of theory and my own kind of mantra.
2: I think there were a couple things one there's the systemic piece which I think when you grow up in a culture that's very focused on the individual and very focused on the idea that all of your success or your failure is down to you and you alone it's very difficult to step outside of that story that's definitely the American story so if someone has failed they 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 are a failure, they have failed in some way. Perhaps they're lazy, perhaps they're this, perhaps they're that. And if someone has succeeded, the idea is they've succeeded completely off their own because they've worked really hard. And what I started to see, if you looked around dispassionately, is that that wasn't actually factually true at all. There were lazy people who were successful through sheer luck. There were hard workers who were unsuccessful through sheer luck back or good luck that that existed there was an aspect of like making the most of opportunities that were presented to you but -hmm. it became very clear to me that you know there are often there were systemic reasons why people found themselves in the position that they were in I started to notice that there would be really talented dancers who came from a particular background who weren't in a position where they could afford the insecurity that's part of being freelanced. And so they had to drop out and do something else. Sometimes those would be people that came from a different socioeconomic background. Sometimes those would be people that came from a different socioeconomic background and a different gender and a different race. But it it was clear that the playing field was not equal Mm. to me anyway. and so it bothered me that there was this idea, especially of the tour in film, that it was down to this one, you know, people would be referred to as a genius, as if they had kind of created all the work, when in actual fact, it was a really collaborative process. And it was a collaborative process that only allowed certain people in through structural issues, not through people being not nice people, not through people making deliberate choices, but through structural issues. So for instance, everybody started to talk about, oh, there's so few women in film. Oh, it's because everybody's misogynistic. Well, that's one way of looking at it. You could say it's all down to personal responsibility. That's not what I saw. I saw structural problems. Whenever someone chose to have a child, nine times out of 10, it's the woman who will be expected to stay home to look after that child. It's mm. very difficult to look after a child if you're working 14 hours a day. Yeah. So the way that the industry was structurally constructed was not conducive to that.
0: Mm.
2: And, and so as a consequence, you had far fewer female directors, not because they were less talented, not because of these other things, but because of structural issues. Mm-hmm. And I, so I started to notice that and noticed that nobody talked about it. And even when Me Too happened, again, that was very much an emphasis on, we've got a few bad apples here. It never shifted to really talking about what are the structural problems that might lead to this. For instance, giving one male so much power hierarchical structure where one person has so much power over many other people's livelihood. Mm. And here's the issue, you know, with freelance. If you have one or two powerful people who have who can hire and fire at will on a whim, then that's not a very conducive environment to speaking out or to saying, I'm not getting home to see my family. If you want a family, you shouldn't be in this industry. Well then you're asking people to make a very big choice Mm. quite young and so what I started to see is these things could not be separated out Mm. they were they were intertwined with each other and and it was either step outside for a while to kind of reassess how you could approach it differently or leave it completely Mm-hmm. I chose to step outside of it for a while. Through the writing process, I was able to step outside of it at least temporarily. Um, and focus on the piece that I had a little bit more control over in terms of how my time was being used.
1: Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Like how is it, is, is it, is it the industry's changed so much slightly over the last kind of couple of years because these people in power have now been kind of taken off their kind of pedestal. And we now have this sort of like cancel culture sort of thing in the Me Too situation, but there's so much more that can be done. And it's going, how does that? And I think, I think it has been uh, more of a co- more of a conversation now because the industry has stopped and everyone has stopped because of COVID, and people know what has happened, what's happened beforehand. But because the hamster wheel was running, it was so difficult to. Yeah. And I think. Now- and I think the
2: danger. I think the danger with me to the danger with cancel culture the danger with that is again it's shifting the focus onto individuals it's shifting the focus onto like changes of heart mm. rather than really looking at the structures that lead to a lot of these problems in the first place mm-hmm. and i still feel like there isn't enough to stopping and considering looking at the way a shooter structured the way the time is used the way all of these things um, are not permanent natural structures. They were Mm. created, Mm. you know, Star Wars, they shot eight hour days. We decided at some point we were going to shift to a freelance structure, which benefits some and works against a lot of other people.
1: Yeah.
2: Brings freedom in some respects, but zero freedom in others. So people feel like they're free but in actual fact you're actually not very free at all Mm -hmm. um so I just I really started to notice a lot of those things so it was a shift it was a shift from me always blaming myself to stopping and seeing the wider structure that I existed within which I don't think I had done so much when I was younger I was very focused on if i lost something it was a failing of mine or something that i had done wrong i never stopped to consider what structures might be in place that could help or hinder not only myself but other people as well
0: mm, mm.
2: and then you have a choice you either say i'll just let it be even though i think it's wrong even though i don't think it's working for the majority of people or you take the first step of thinking about it and then
1: the second step of saying something about it hmm mm, mm. And as, and as we kind of round up, we've, um, we've touched upon so many interesting sort of topics. We, give, we do this thing, but we do a give back. And I'd love to kind of ask you, what has inspired you? What would you give back to an audience from all the kind of things that we talked about today? It could be like an inspiration thing or it could just be like, take a step back, zoom out. It could be a film that you've been inspired by. What would you give, give back to our, to our audience, younger audience or older audience?
2: I think you want to find a balance between finding and appreciating your own process. And I feel like everybody has a creativity within them and it's about nurturing that, finding that very idiosyncratic process, but then also being able to step out and see how it exists within a wider social structure. So it's that, it's that experience of zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out you know, for so often, we've set up this idea of, you know, psychology versus sociology one, you solve all the problems of the world, one person at a time, by getting everybody into therapy, the other you solve all the problems of the world by just focusing on the the structural systematic problems. And I think it's actually a marrying of those two things. Mm -hmm. I think that's what people should aim for in their lives, as well as their work. Your work does not exist in a vacuum if you choose to communicate it to other people but your process can your process can be very much your own it's 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 that oscillation between the individual the psychological the social and that oscillation between process and what you put out into the world communicating with other people the oscillation between your own internal journey and the inter and the external journey that you take out in the world I think we can all oscillate between those things and we can hold more than one idea and more than one state of being mm. at mm. the same time
1: yeah well <laughs> thank you very much for coming on 360 So it's been absolutely amazing to have you on and you've spoken about some amazing things and I'm like I, my brain's like chugging away now like th- rethinking like all my kind of choices and the things that and the way that i see my position of where i'm at in my world and also in the industry at the moment so i want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 yourself it's been absolutely amazing
2: that's my pleasure it's my pleasure so yeah let me know when it when it's cut down and put out
0: (laughs) will do
1: this is 360 yourself and i'm jamie neal Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms. Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at JN.